Good morning, church. What a glorious day, amen? It's a beautiful day. It's great to see your smiling faces and those that are visiting with, uh, with us this morning. It's great to have you. Those viewing online, uh, just pray a special blessing upon you and uh, the Word of God is present with you as we begin our service this morning. Uh, if you would open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 24, Matthew 24, first 14 verses. Would you please stand as we have the reading of God's Word this morning? And before we partake of God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, it is a glorious day that your people gather corporately to honor and glorify you, to worship you and praise you through song, through the reading of your word, through your message, through our fellowship. May our lives just signify the honor, the glory that you have in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for this special day. Bring truth to us through your word. May our eyes and hearts be open to receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Beginning in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was uh, walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the signs of your coming in the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the Increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as testimony to all nations in the end will come. You may be seated. I believe there are two reasons these 14 verses are in the Bible, and they're found in verse 1. The first reason these verses are in the Bible is to reignite our walk with God. Look at verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away. We should want to leave this building here this morning like Jesus and, and walk with Jesus. And the second reason these verses are in the Bible, these 14 verses, is to direct our attention back to God. Listen to the words in verse 1. And when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Sometimes our attention is on the wrong things. Sometimes our attention is on the temporal rather than the eternal, as were the disciples at this moment. 
Nothing will re reignite our walk with God or redirect our attention back to God like the, ex the exposure to the truth. Look at verse 2. It says, do you see all these things, he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. At the end of the day, the only thing that will remain standing is going to be spiritual. So we need to be building something that will last forever. So this morning, let us uh, allow these scriptures, these 14 verses, to reignite our walk with Christ and redirect, redirect our attention back to God. In Matthew chapter 24, in verse 3, the disciples put the question to Jesus. In essence, in principle, they're saying this. Are we in the end times? Now, this question has been asked throughout, his, throughout the history of the church. Some say that every generation has believed that Christ would return in their lifetime. That simply is not true. Every generation has hoped to see his return but not all have expected his return in their lifetime. So let me give you an example. Sir Isaac Newton was not only a great scientist, but he was also a theologian. And he concluded that his generation would not see the return of Christ. He did not see the signs of the ends of time coming just yet. Here's what he said. About the time of the end, a body of men will be raised up, who will turn their attention to the prophecies and insist upon their little in, literal interpretation in the midst of much glamour and opposition. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest pre preachers of the 19th century, he asked, will Jesus appear in 1866 or 1867? His words. He says, I'm inclined to think that he, Jesus, will not come at any such time. It seems to me that there are a great many prophecies which must be fulfilled before the coming of Christ. We shall go on a many a day yet. We may have to wait for another century. Now that we're in the 21st century, look at what has changed in world history. Specifically in spiritual and biblical knowledge. Which leads to a very powerful discussion of the fulfillment of one of the lesser known prophecies of the Old Testament. And I want to draw your attention there for just a few moments. And this is Daniel 12, verse 4. Daniel 12, verse 4. And in that verse, it says this But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. He says, many will go here and there, and knowledge will increase. So what we're seeing here is that Daniel must seal this book, this vision from God, because it could not be understood, and therefore would not be considered. All the things contained in it uh, until uh, they were being accomplished. Now, this hidden treasure, this hidden prophecy in, in Daniel would be open and many will search and dig for more and more knowledge of end-time prophecy, which has begun already. Those things of God, which were dark and obscure in the book of Daniel, are now being made clear by the increase of biblical knowledge. And they're getting a better insight 
on end times and the second coming of Christ. As theologian Matthew Henry once said, truth is the daughter of time. And that's exactly what's been taking place. Closing and sealing the words of the scroll meant that it was to be kept safe and preserved for such a later time. So that the believers of all time could look back on God's word, his prophecy, especially from the book of Daniel, and find hope. Understand, Daniel did not uh, understand the exact meaning of the times and the events in this vision that was given to him by God. He didn't understand it all. But as our knowledge of Scripture have increased, we can see that these prophetic events as they unfold, for we are in the end times. And to be more specific, the end times begin to unfold after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. End time prophecies will not be understood until the climax of earth's history. And we're about at that peak. Global communication today has men traveling at the speed of light. The information age, look at it today, has placed knowledge just a click away from you. And what took years to research is available in seconds to virtually anyone. I want you to understand something this morning. Knowledge does not make us better people because morally our society is still in preschool. Right? Educating someone's mind without changing their heart only enhances pride to their already sin-filled resume. That's where we are today. So let me rephrase the question. And the question was, are we in the end times? Here's how I'll rephrase it. Do I believe that our present day church age to be the last of the church ages before the coming of Christ? After much reading and studying scriptures and watching, I am led to say that the church age that we are presently in is the last church age before the coming of Christ. Do I want to put a uh, put a date on it or predict, uh, predict an exact time of his return? Absolutely not. I believe Jesus makes it very clear that we should be less concerned about knowing the exact date and be more concerned about being prepared. What do you mean being prepared? Living God's way consistently in our lives, no matter when Christ is to return to live each, each day as Christ would want us to live our lives. But then we have the question, why then do we care if these are the last days or not? Well, if God didn't think his prophecies were important, hear me on this, then why does one-third of his word, the Bible, contain prophecy? One-third of his word is prophecy, prophetic. So, if it's important to God, it should be very important to us. But before we continue, I want you to turn to some scripture that we want to read this morning in Matthew 24, verse 36, and Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Acts 24, 36. Guys, do we have that or no? Yes. 
Matt, Matthew 24, 36, and Acts 1, 7. Sorry. Matthew 24, verse 36. I'm going to make you use your Bibles this morning. In verse 36, no one knows what the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the date the Father has set by his own authority. Speaking on his return. If we knew the precise date, the specific time, might we be tempted to be lazy in our work for Christ? Worse yet, might we uh, plan to keep living a sinful life and then turn to Jesus uh, right before he returns? Probably. Just by my observation, it seems there are many people who believe they already know the, the precise date of Christ's return because of the way they're living. Christ's second coming will be quick and it will be sudden. It will be unex, unexpected. Then there will be no opportunity for a last-minute repentance or, bargain, or, or, or try to bargain with God. You won't have time for that. That's how sudden it will be. God wants us to choose his lifestyle, his kingdom for our own and to live, live accordingly to his will, his ways. He wants us to trust him no matter when Christ returns, whether it be tonight or 25 years from now. That doesn't matter. Jesus' only purpose for telling us about his return is to warn us to do what? Be prepared, to be prepared. How many of us understand that life is not truly lived until you live it for Jesus? Do we understand that? Is this how precious life is to you? To truly know that you're not really living unless you're living for Jesus. It's, it's very clear to me that anyone who predicts or gives a specific date of the second coming of Christ is seriously wrong and disobedient to the Word of God. However, Jesus does give us signs concerning the time structure of His coming, and I'm thankful of that. And we're going to review some of those this morning in our text. Signs that will define the end times. So keep your mind and your hearts open to pay attention to His Word this morning. Because in verses 4 through 14, we have four signs that will define the end times. Four. Verses 4 through 5, there will be a great spiritual deception. Verses 6 and 7, there will be great political unrest. Verse 7, there will be great natural disasters. Verses 8 and 9, there will be great religious persecution. Now, for you sports fans, 
If each of these signs were like quarters of a football game, which quarter might we be in right now? <laughs> Fourth quarter. You know what? Some people have no clue what quarter we're in. Why? Because their attention is not on the game, but pretty much like the disciples chasing after Jesus to stop him, saying, Jesus, look at this building, this wonderful, beautiful building. Can you, you have to understand uh, the beauty of the temple back in the time of Jesus. It was glamorous. Most people's attention is not on the game, but on what's around them. They can't tell you the score, but they can tell you the seating capacity of the stadium. Right? They attend the game just for the concessions, and guess what? To be entertained. And let me just say, the churches today, they have their own stadium, they have their own concessions, and they have their own entertainment. Now you ask, you ask them, how's the game progressing? Most people don't care and they don't know. Then there's others who may have a better idea how the game is progressing. They may say that we're in the final quarter. They may say we're in the two-minute warning, even final seconds. Now look at verses 4 and 5. There will be great spiritual deception. And look what the text is saying. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. When we understand the phrase, will come in my name, and what it means, we can see how spiritual deception works. To come in his name is to claim another set of teachings as equal to that of the teachings of Jesus. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, he is saying that others will elevate themselves. And in my name, they will make claims. All roads lead to God. What's true for you is not necessarily true for me. Life is whatever I choose it to be. And many will begin to de deny the deity of Jesus. The only way to keep from being deceived is to focus on Christ and his words. Don't look for special signs and at other claims. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ and only Christ. Verses 6 and 7. There will be great political unrest. Let's look at this verse again. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, Christ says, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Notice Jesus speaks of two types of wars here. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. What's the difference between the two? The word nation in the Greek is, a, is the word ethnos. 
and I'll, and I'll have John back me up since he's a scholar at Greek. Right, John? Okay. So the word nation in the Greek is the word ethnos, from which we get the English word ethnic. Okay? So the first type of war is one between ethnic group and ethnic group. Then we have the word kingdom in our text. And the Greek word is pronounced basilia. And it translates into something that has borders. The second type of war is between border and border. Hmm. Today we're seeing a lot of tension between ethnic groups of the world and between the borders of the world that more than we've ever seen before in history. The tension is building. And then in verse 7 also, there will be great natural disasters. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now, many of you are thinking, well, that's been going on forever. I want you to understand something. We have experienced more earthquakes in our lifetime, our lifetime, than in the previous 500 years in human history. Accelerated occurrence of, uh, of earthquakes and disasters, severe famines, a rise of serious diseases are daily happenings in this world. I don't have to say much more. These signal that the end is closer than it was yesterday. All these are the beginnings, as Scripture says, of birth pains. And then look at verse 9. There will be great religious persecution. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. In many nations in the world, this is a reality. And we've talked about this before. According to the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, more Christians were martyred in the 20, 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century than in the past 19 centuries combined. That's massive. And here are some of the worst violators of that religious liberty. It's China, Laos, Saudi Arabia, India, Burma, Sudan, Iran, North Korea, Turkmenistan, Iraq, Pakistan, and Russia. So how does the church respond in end times? How do we respond? Let's go back to verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14. Matthew 24, verses 10 through 14. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In those four verses, 
there are six responses in the church. The first one is this. At that time, and we're taking it right from Scripture, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. When the going gets tough, many will, many will turn away and no longer follow Jesus. Since they're not grounded in their faith, they will not take a stand for Jesus in the difficult times. Here's a statistic for you. Approximately 110 churches each week in America close their, their doors for good. 110 a week. And less than 40%, less than 40% of all church memberships are even active in their faith. And at that time, many will turn away from their faith. People, it's happening today. The second response is this. There will be those who will turn against the faith. Right from Scripture, it says, and will betray and hate each other. There will be those who will work to cause strife and hatred in the church. Church people may very well become your enemy. Instead of focusing on the real enemy, and we know who that is, these people will fight with other believers. Religious persecution brings out the worst in people. The third response, there'll be those who twist the faith. Look at your text. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. I'll take you to scripture text. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That's taking place today in our world today. Second scripture, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Many of you are familiar with this one. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Understand the warning is here. Is that there will be those who will begin to follow personalities and become deceived. Guys, we're living this. We see this. And many of us have participated in it. The fourth response by the church. There will be those who will tune out the faith. 
Look at verse 12 of our text. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I consider this to be the biggest danger facing the church in the last days. We will be cold towards the things of God. What do you think? When it comes to our, when it comes to our faith, we're either growing colder or we're growing hotter. We never stay the same. There is no lukewarm with God. As a pastor, there's no greater joy than to see people draw closer and closer and closer to God. But also as a pastor, there's, nothing, uh, there's no greater disappointment than to see people grow colder towards the things of God. That's tough. Response number five from the churches. There will be those who will trust the faith. Look at verse 13. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Times of persecution and trials, they serve a purpose. They begin to sift Separate true Christians from false or fair-weather, lukewarm Christians. When persecution comes, when trials come, you begin to see a separation among the people. You really begin to find out who are the believers and who are not the believers. And then response number six. There are those who will share their faith, will share the gospel message. Look at verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Isn't the word right now being preached to the ends of the world already? There are very, very limited few who have not heard the message. But I'll give you some startling news. I will tell you they still exist, those that haven't heard the message. I promise you, I have no clue how many churches are in the community of Wallingford. I have no idea. I could just take a guesstimation. Some of you may have that answer, how many churches are around here. I would guess somewhere, I'll give a large proximity, somewhere between uh, uh, 40 to 60 churches in Wallingford alone. I'm just guessing. But do you realize there are people in this community that has never heard the gospel message? I promise you. That have never heard the gospel message, the good news. But that shouldn't be. We have a church on every corner. We have 65% of this country's population that claim to be Christians. How is that even possible? Do you realize that we have missionaries from other countries coming to share the gospel to the Americans? 
Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you understand that is the mission of the church? Jesus spoke of end times and final judgment to show his followers the urgency of spreading the good news of salvation to everyone. Everyone. You know, uh, there was a certain Christian that was complaining to a very well-known Christian leader about the times that they were living in. And we can all do that. We can complain uh, about what's going on in the times that we're living in, how difficult it is, how challenging it is. And then after enduring this for several minutes, this Christian leader, he responded by saying this, we may be living in difficult times, but you know what? Those are the only times that we've got. It's the only time we have. But we're still to share the gospel message. Is it possible that Jesus will return in our lifetime? Is it possible? It's not just possible, but probable. I get asked this question all the time. And those that have been around me for some time, I've probably shared it with you. Here's my answer. We're one day closer to the coming of Christ than we were yesterday. I'm not a date setter. I'm not going to give you a specific date. But we need to recognize and be aware of the signs of the times. And most of you don't care. Most of Christians don't know. I mean, the constantly changing scene of the second coming of Jesus Christ, is, it, I'm telling you, it is spread out like a table for a Sunday dinner. The stage is set. The time is near. I mean, the, the, the key players, I'm telling you, are beginning to take their position in this whole thing of end-time prophecy. I believe the cameras are rolling the, quite, the, the lights aren't coming quite dim yet. But I believe that there is this, um, I don't know, how do I describe this? A hush falling across the stage of heaven. And all we need is for the director to cry out, God himself, action. Action. If you are old enough to receive senior citizen discounts, AARP, then you see, listen to what you have seen in your lifetime. You have seen the divorce rate go from one in eight to what it is today. Divorces outnumbering marriages every single year. You have seen crime rate increase by 300%. You've seen the birth of the Church of Satan in 1969. And watch this, it's even been granted tax-exempt status by the U.S. government. 
And here's one that's at our door, and most of you don't even realize it. A one-world government is being formed right now as we sit in this church. And if you can't see the signs, if you don't see the reports, you're not in the game. A one-world government is being formed right now. Watch this. You heard it just the other day. There is also a new world order being laid out before us in 2022. As predicted in the Bible. Unprecedented, uh, unprecedented increases in famines, natural disasters, and incurable diseases is happening in our world today. You've seen all of this in your lifetime. There's this intensity building up. There's this expectancy that's in the air. But believers, we need not run around with this headline hysteria. Okay? We are to simply look up, look up, for our redemption, as Scripture tells us, is drawing near. We are to faithfully and patiently watch for our Savior who will be returning by the sound of a trumpet, correct? The twinkling of an eye, in an instant we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how close we are. If you're not saved, understand... At his second coming, there will not be time to get saved. It will be too late. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. God's specific. We're not promised tomorrow. That's why our salvation, your salvation, is important today. You know, many people put off the decision for Christ and they put it off, they put it off, thinking that there will be a better time. I have plenty of time. But you could easily miss your opportunity. You can miss it altogether. There is no time like the present to receive God's forgiveness, amen? <laughs> Man, wouldn't we want that? If you are a Christian and not living for God, when he returns, there'll be no time to make that up. Your salvation may be secure, but let me tell you, you will be ashamed when he comes. No doubt. You won't be able to ask him, well, stop, pause for a minute. Lord, I want to win a soul for you. My brother, my father, my spouse, my children, my friend, my neighbor, my co-worker. It's too late. Well, Lord, I, I want to obey you. I want to be, I want to be more of a, of a giver, do more ministry work. It's too late. Well, I've got bitterness in my heart towards someone. It's too late. But I'm addicted to so many evil things. It's too late. 
The message is clear. Just be ready. Do it now. For the Lord could come at any moment. Be watching. Be ready. You know, good people disagree on some of the specifics when it comes to prophecy. But all agree that the signs of the end are touching us today. They all agree on that. Not only touching us, but warning us. Preparing us, wanting us to prepare to take cover, to get ready, to be prepared, to warn anyone that you possibly can warn. I mean, we don't have to be taken by surprise. But I'm here to tell you and understand this. What I'm about to say is true. We don't have to be taken by surprise. But I want to tell you, most of the world will be caught off guard. Most of the world. So I want you to listen closely to the questions I'm about to ask you. How many of you are waiting on the return of Christ? How many of you are watching for his return? Why did I give you two questions? Nowhere in the Bible does it tell believers, the followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, to wait. Nowhere. But to watch. Why? Because his return could be today. That's why. There's this man who worked on a riverboat 30 days at a time, and he couldn't wait to return home. Now, as the boat approached the home port, the captain began to make the announcement, your wives are gathered at the dock. There's Bob's wife, Mary. There's Tom's wife, Betty. Oh, sorry, Cindy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't affiliate any names I'm saying with anyone here. So there's Bob's wife, Mary, there's Tom's wife, Betty, and so on and so on and so on. One man was disappointed because his wife wasn't there. He caught a ride home with another couple, and he walked into his house, and there was his wife, who smiled and hugged him and said, Hi there, I'm so glad you're home. I've been waiting for you. His reply. Yeah, but the other guys' wives were watching for them. Very valid point. Are you ready? Is your life in order? Spiritually? How about your family, your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors? If Christ were to come tonight and he were to ask you, why should I allow you into my kingdom? How would you respond? What would your answer be? Will Jesus find you 
uh, faithfully serving him? Or will he find you flirting and living with the world? One is the wrong response. The other one's the correct response. Let me close with this. Have the praise team come as prepare a song of invitation. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're right with God and not be left behind. Make sure that you are prepared to meet Christ in his return. Make sure you're watching. And in that watch, you're preparing others. You're sharing the gospel message. We have ever ample opportunity to do that. We talk to people every day. Every single day you talk to someone. You engage someone, whether physically, virtually, or, or online, uh, social media. We're always engaging. And with so much communication in, involved, and we like to communicate. Why is it we talk about everything under the sun except the most important thing of all, the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Right? So be prepared. Watch. I'm telling you, we're about to step in to the final scene of all things. And it's right here in front of our faces. Everything that prophecy speaks of on end times, it's in place. It's in place and about to be finalized. So are you prepared? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, our time here this morning, I pray that our hearts worshiped and praised you in fellowship, in songs, the reading of your word, and the lesson that you had for us in your word. I pray through it all we were worshiping you, not concerned about what was around us, but the spiritual side of all things, because that is the thing that will last forever. And as Jesus told his disciples, he would even tell us today, the stones of this building will all collapse, will not remain, will be thrown down. And the question is, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, please, will we remain standing? Will we still be walking with Jesus? Living as Jesus would have us to live. Lord, if there be that one today, the family today that need to come before you to set things right, I pray that you will bring them, the Holy Spirit moves upon them. Those that may be viewing online, I pray that your Holy Spirit is doing their, your work in their lives as they've heard the word today. They know the, they know the importance of the truth that you have shared with us. And may they 
be preparing for your great coming. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.